As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Athletic Baseball Show for Friday, October 6th. This is Stephen Nesbitt filling in this month for Derek Van Riper, and I'm joined as always by Keith Law. Keith, I learned something this week. I learned that the real end goal in baseball, especially comes to me at this time of year in postseason, is to win 54% of your games. Uh, what did you learn this week? Yeah, I learned not to say that. Like that sometimes it's better to say nothing and be thought a fool. <laughs> like, I just... I mean, I had a scout send me that um, oh, no. with some derogatory commentary, and I will just kind of leave it at that. But yeah, there are thoughts that are just better left unsaid. I understand what DePoto was trying to say there. I don't understand the urge to say that to the fan base. There's absolutely no way in which that kind of commentary would be well-received. And yeah. the reaction was exactly what i expected this reminds me of when i was um when i was covering the pirates and neil huntington had things were going south as they were toward the end of his time there and he said something about how like if you if you run ten thousand simulations on teams that are supposed to be about 500 like eventually you're going to run into like a two and four stretch something like but everyone just latches on to if you run ten thousand simulations and like this is not how i want you running my baseball club right Right. simulations i want you to figure out how to get mitch keller to, to throw a strike um or tyler glass now to be good um uh, so anyway uh there are there are things i think as a as a front office person and any executive that there are things you think and then there are things you say and a lot of times those have, those have to be different but anyway we're, we're on today's show not going to talk about 50 percent too much uh hopefully but uh, we're going to touch on what went wrong for the four teams that got swept out of the playoffs already we'll take a lap around the the remaining playoff field ahead of the division series and later in the show if we have time we'll talk a little bit about the four, so far, managerial openings around Major League Baseball. But first, Keith, the swept. The swept and the sweepers. The swept were, um, well, the, the the common theme here is you got to score a couple runs. The four, yeah. teams that, four teams that lost, the Brewers scored five runs over two games, the Marlins two runs, the Blue Jays and Rays one run apiece. So that's a, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good recipe for losing. So the Rays are... 
you picked them a week ago to reach the World Series, but That's out. I'm going I'm going to give you credit where it's due. You also called the Twins over Blue Jays as the best chance for an upset, and the Phillies over Marlins as most likely to be one-sided. I think the Rays may have stolen one-sided by by a, a run or two, but it was pretty darn one-sided over there, uh, Phillies against the Marlins. So starting with the, Ra- with the Rays, the Rangers got to both Tyler Glass now and Zach Eflin. Walks mm-hmm. and defense were what took down Glass now. Hard hits, homers, what took down Eflin. In the end, what went wrong for this Rays team that won 99 games and, and was the story of the early season? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's it, right? They were... The Rays team continued to play well throughout the regular season despite losing three of their starters and their best position player. Maybe that's it. I mean, part of this is just I'm waving my hands in the air like Kermit the Frog. People can't see it, but like it's two games, right? We can't draw a huge conclusion. We can't really draw even medium conclusions. However, it is also, I think, pretty easy to look at this Rays roster lineup and pitching and say, it's not ideally what they would have run out there in a short series, but it's not like Zach Eflin isn't good, right? He had an excellent season this year, like a truly excellent season. Um, the Rangers can just hit and they got to him. I think it was second time through in particular, if I remember correctly. Yep. Um, they really got to him. The Rays are a pretty good defensive club. They didn't really play like a really good defensive club in these two games. Uh, and yeah. Missing your best position player turns out makes your offense a bit worse. Now it's not the difference between scoring, you know, one run and eight runs, but you never know what happens if you push one extra run across at some point earlier in a game and the other team makes a different move, panics a little bit. And there's lots of different ways that could play out. But the Rangers were kind of in control of both games, at least to the extent that I was watching until, you know, when I think it was seven one yesterday and the Rays narrowly avoided setting this record that Sean McDonough could not stop talking about. Like literally, I think that was him doing that game, right? And he just yeah. would not. I was like, oh my God, it's not that interesting. I'm sorry. Like it's mildly interesting. They were about to tie the record for the most consecutive innings without scoring a run in the playoffs, which stretched across two different years. Sure. Like I guess when the when it's seven nothing you got to talk about something, but <laughs> they didn't, didn't want to talk too much longer about the uh, attendance problems that were happening. No. Oh Yeesh. my God. It's another thing I never need to hear about again. Like what? This is a surprise to somebody. Really? Oh, by the way, they're putting the stadium in the exact same spot. Look, good luck with that. Yeah. Two, two weeks ago I was watching, um, Stu Sternberg and a whole bunch of St. Pete, um, you know, the mayor and all sorts of people mm-hmm. on a, on a live stream uh, talking about the, the new stadium uh, that they're going to have just across the parking lot from the old stadium and why it was going to be great that the Rays are here to stay. <clears throat> and then we got a pretty resounding um, uh, Houston. We have a problem here um, with, with the attendance and Cody Stavenhagen did a great story actually going down the stands. We, we talked about it before the game of, Hey man, just go down there and talk to fans. Like, Do they think the new stadium is going to fix this? And, and basically the answer is uh, no, they didn't really think so. They'd like to see more more support but it's mm-hmm. no surprise that the people he talked to in general were from st pete yeah it's real convenient if you're from st pete it's if you're yeah. from the east side of tampa or, or south or something so anyway we, we won't belabor that go ahead i was just going to say the one thing in his story that stood out too is a lot of people he talked to who seemed to think well you know they're going to look at this atlanta development has done all these things and and uh there was one other one where they talked about you know so all the you know, mixed use or other development that happens I'm like that doesn't last i mean there's 
decades of economic studies showing sports stadiums do not drive economic development. I mean, it's just basically a big fat wealth transfer from taxpayers to sports team owners. I don't see why this is going to be any different, especially since we know people don't like the location. People find the location inconvenient. You have to cross a bridge to get there if you're coming from Tampa or Orlando or if you're coming from anywhere south. So, I mean, this to me just seems like I understand the urge, the status quo is there, the land is there. So I understand there's a little bit of a rationale, but this, if this stadium actually does get built, um, and that still may not happen, I just foresee a couple of years of boosted attendance because of the novelty factor, and then we're going to be right back in the same situation again. Yeah, it'll be a, a better ballpark experience, but still the bottom line was the money was there. They couldn't find the financing over in Tampa, and if they were able to find the financing, they would have been gone like that. And so still in St. Pete. Rays are here to stay, and, and uh, a great team gets swept out the door at a, you know, a weakened state uh, that they were in here at the end. Uh, moving on to the Blue Jays. Uh, wow, they were uh, unfortunately on the wrong side of, uh, of the Twins snapping their losing streak, but they outhit the Twins in both games, 15-12 to 12 in the series, uh, and just couldn't uh, – it seemed like they were going to potentially break through in a couple spots, and they just didn't, uh, didn't do it in the big moment in Game 2 was the decision to pull Jose Barrios – in the fourth inning, um, this was one where uh, it's almost like the curse of having a really good rotation this year is saying, oh, just bring Kikuchi. He's had a great year. Uh, they've basically been the, the the similar same pitcher. And the contrast here is is in the night game uh, where Zach Gallen needed 41 pitches to get the first four outs of the game. The quote from Tori Lavilla after the game uh, was uh, he walked by me after the first inning, Zach Gallen, and it was almost like a don't you dare comment. He said, I'm giving, I'm giving you seven innings today if you give me over 100 pitches. I said, go ahead, show me. Get it done. He came close, but he really stepped up and started to make pitches and gave us a chance to catch our breath. So Gallen gets 100 pitches over six innings, and they end up winning that ball game where he put him behind. And, and in this this one, Berrios didn't get a chance, the first sign of trouble. Of course, this being a different situation in which you're down uh, by an elimination game versus um, up by a game in the series. But what did you think of the the move to pull Berrios at that point? So I came down a little bit differently. Like it, most of what I was seeing was disbelief from fans and from other writers was sort of disbelief they'd take Berrios out at all. Um, and people comparing it to pulling Blake Snell in the, the World Series three years ago. And I come down a little bit differently. There's no, oh, he was cruising. He was dealing. That's not it. Thing. Like, I mean, it's a statement of fact in that he was like that, but it's not predictive value. Like, you can be cruising. Zach Uflin was cruising at one point. Braxton Garrett was kind of cruising at one point, I think. Um, maybe to, to a lesser degree, but you know, you're you're cruising until you're not. And there's generally not a whole lot of warning when a pitcher's effectiveness like that might taper off or just simply go right over a cliff. So it wasn't so much the the decision to take him out that bothered me. Bringing in Kikuchi, on the other hand, I don't really understand much at all, um, particularly because he's not that kind of pitcher. Like at that point, you are just you're, you're you're in an elimination game. It's a little bit like you're playing for outs. You're just trying to keep this game. I think it was scoreless at that point, right? So you're just keep it tied, keep it scoreless until we can put some runs up. And if that means you got to go to your better higher leverage relievers earlier in the game and figure out the eighth and ninth inning later if you happen to get a lead, fine. Instead, they went to Kikuchi, whose main value is that he's kind of steady throughout games, so he's not as effective the first time through the order as a lot of pitchers, maybe anybody else on their staff, but he doesn't, his times through the order penalty, so to speak, is not as severe, right? He's He holds his value a little bit better deeper into games, and so he's the guy 
you bring in if you're saying, you know, your your starter gets knocked out in the first and you're down by a lot and you're like, well, whoever comes in next is going to have to throw four or five innings for us. That's a Kikuchi situation. So this whole thing just looked like some kind of plan from the start. I don't know whose plan it was and I don't know if it was yep. actually the plan, but I have a hard time saying that was the that was the guy. At that point, I would have just left Barrios in. Um and then the whole thing didn't was he walked a guy. I, I, that always makes me crazy. Well, he's one hit, one hitter, one base runner. Then we take him out. Why is that a thing? Just because it's always been a thing. Now we're just going to bring the next guy in with runners on, which is always a worse situation. I don't know. There was a lot about that. I mean, I don't think John Schneider had a great series to begin with. That is the move that I disagreed with, but at the same time think he's going to get blown out of proportion, and it'll be like yeah. that cost them the whole series. I mean, that was not good, right? But the big guy getting picked off in second base, like, that seemed pretty significant too. <laughs> yeah, I mean that was a great play to watch. The the uh, we'll get into that one in, uh, in just a minute. But, but please, yeah, I, yes, yes, <laughs> we're just yeah. spending the next thirty eight minutes talking about it in that play. Um, yeah, the, the, well, I think what what bothers a lot of people with that decision by Schneider is that it, it feels so scripted because you lead off yep. the fourth inning with a walk to Royce Lewis. And it just feels like had he struck him out, would you have pulled him anyway? Was that going to happen anyway? Because you had the lefties coming up. Maybe yep. I don't, I truly don't know, but then you get, um, uh, you got the, the, the coming up, you have, um, it was Kepler, Kirilov and then Correa and then uh, and then Walner was how it set up but they throw a couple of pinch hitters there in the fourth inning and counter that and then it turns into two runs and uh, ends up being a mess there's, there's probably not a whole lot of ways you're winning that situation if Kikuchi does well then you're like yeah okay it, it was it's the fourth inning still you still have to score a run but um right. that's the, which, that's they, the which in the end of the day they did not do right and I understand like it could have played yeah. out differently in the game's scoreless but like yeah you you actually can't win if you don't score that is more, more or less in the rules. I don't know if it's explicitly in the rules, but yeah. it's definitely how the game works. And the Blue Jays didn't score. I mean, yeah. credit to the, that Twins pitching staff. This ain't your grandfather's Twins. This ain't your father's Twins, right? The whole 18-game losing streak goes back to the days where every Twins pitcher threw 89 with great control. Right? This is not that pitching staff at all. And, you know, it was really good. Like, this is peak Sonny Gray. And it was really good to see yeah. that. And, of course, then they go to the bullpen. They got they – got, power coming out of the bullpen it is it is a little jarring to me because i've just been doing this for so long i need to unthink that right this is not i know the personnel is different but you just think twins oh, i yeah, have those guys right it's carlos silva starting tomorrow that's that they are not that club in any way shape or form at this point which is good for them but the stereotype definitely persists even in the back of my mind even though i can sit here and tell you yeah. i know that's not what they're like but i still catch myself thinking that way a little bit yeah, I think um, game one, I think, is Brad Radke, I think I've heard. Um, oh, yeah. And, yeah. He is available. Um, yeah, uh, the, yeah the, they had that parade out of the bullpen with Louis Varlin, Caleb Tealbar, Griffin Jackson, Yohan Duran, who despite having like a, a cut on his finger, uh, stayed in the mm-hmm. game. Uh, it was like they sp- sprayed whatever that soccer magic spray is. And like, oh, you know exactly. What? Stay, out there, stay out there. Um, and yeah, he, he needs it for the splinker. That's right. Yeah, five Ks and two innings for him in that in that series is pretty awesome. Um, but yep. to wrap up the wrap up the Blue Jays here, okay, we you know to have your uh, your opportunity in scoring position, Vlad Guerrero Jr. gets picked off a second, just not paying enough attention. There was if you look at it from the other side, it's a great story from the Twins' perspective. Correa uh, tipped off. Um, Yep. He tipped off uh, Sonny Gray that, hey, they can't hear the third base coach yell back, and so let's put on the timing play. He called into the dugout from shortstop. The dugout relays it to the catcher. The catcher relays it to the pitcher over Pitchcom. Beautiful uh, throw, beautiful tag, and uh, Vlad Guerrero, like, 
I enjoyed him standing at second base for a minute, pretending like he may have gotten back. You, buddy, you know you, <laughs> you got tagged out unless they missed all the replays in the world. Um, but if we look at the bigger picture here, where they go from here, because listen, they got fantastic performance from their starting rotation this year, and which was a big question mark entering the year. And then their their lineup just never put it all together. Mm-hmm. And so you ha- you lose lose this offseason. Um, Hyunjin Ryu, Matt Chapman, Brandon Belt, Kevin Kiermaier, Adam Simber. Do they need to make big moves in free agency? Where do you go to better a team that's getting older and more expensive at this point? Yeah, I, mean, I don't think I'm saying anything too shocking here to say they need Vlad to be Vlad again. I mean, the guy yeah. he was two years ago, but it's been two declines, two year-over-year declines since then. And it's kind of like as Vlad goes, the Blue Jays offense goes, it seems a little unfair to blame it on one guy, but also they did sort of build this lineup around him and Bo Bichette being a certain type of player. And by in 2021, it certainly looked like they were going to be those kinds of players and they did have the right direction. I'm not, I, I am absolutely not criticizing the front office on that particular front. I don't think there was any way to foresee Vlad, becoming what he's become this year. And I don't really have great explanations. He does still hit the ball hard kind of a lot of the time. And I don't know if this was to what extent this was just a little bit of a fluke or like you're always, I'm always going to question his conditioning because it's a body type that's going to just require a lot of work. And he does look a little bit thicker to me. Uh, I don't know that they need to make big additions. If you, if they could know if the crystal ball said, you're getting 2021 Vlad or something closer to that back. That would change the offseason plan quite a bit. Um, they could still do themselves a lot of good, right? They got it. Like God, Kevin Biggio batting fifth in two playoff games for them. I don't, I just, what are you even doing? Yep. Yep. Um, this guy can't hit major league fastballs and we've got so many years of this and that's an easy hole for them to fill. Now they do have a Elvis Martinez coming up at third base. He had a big bounce back season. I think he's shown himself to be enough of a prospect that you could say, well, he'll be the one young guy they work into the lineup, but there's, there's definitely some risk there, some volatility. He could struggle right away. It's been a lot of swing and miss with him. So to me, that creates some extra need to go get, a consistent guy. Maybe it's not a star somewhere else, but someone else maybe to play second base if he's playing third to try to just get a more consistent, reliable, if lower upside, potentially bat somewhere in the lineup so that you're not, so that you just kind of try to minimize your downside risk a little bit. Because of all those guys you mentioned leaving, they're they're all good, big league, you know, capable big league players. But it's not those aren't core guys. Like I think yep. they can handle all of those losses. And I mean, they've been aggressive in free agency. I I don't doubt that they will try to do so again to be aggressive and fill holes. But I don't think they necessarily need to be players at the deepest end of the of the free agent market. They don't need to go after one of the stars. It's always great if they do. But they could probably go after a strategy where they're just filling holes, patching guys, patching spots, and hoping that we get 2021 Vlad or some facsimile of it back for next year. Yeah. Yeah, because I think they can still count on getting pretty good rotation production, even without Ryu, who's good for the back end of the season. If you have Mano, if you can get him anywhere close to average, would would help uh, if you get good Berrios and good Kikuchi and then Tiedemann, Mm -hmm. not not far behind. Uh, He's over in the AFL right now. So Mm -hmm. we'll we'll see where they go. But... Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. To the, to the one team that I felt like um, didn't get a raw deal in this but had the best chance to flip the series was the Brewers. They outhit the D-backs in both games. Uh, Corbin Burns, Freddie Peralta both couldn't protect early leads um, and end up uh, 6-3, 5-2 uh, losers in both games. They This is a team that felt like auditioned a lot of guys in this lineup over the course of the year. Sal mm-hmm. Freelick hit. A lot of other guys are still kind of question marks for me. Bryce Terang was getting regular playing time, but is he a, a core piece going forward? Joey Weimer, um, Andrew Monasterio, Owen Miller, like who is actually going to be part of this core going forward? And they had to ship in uh, a few guys. And of course, William Contreras, they hit big on that one because uh, they didn't yes. have to give up a whole lot in, in, in that three-way trade, giving up uh, Asteria Ruiz. But they ended the season with Carlos Santana, Mark Canna, Josh Donaldson in that starting uh, starting lineup. And I just don't think that was the plan. And it's certainly not going to be the plan in 24. So what do you make of, I guess, the Brewers falling short in the, the way we've come to expect from them, which is just don't have enough um, bats and, and needed, mm-hmm. needed, I guess, like the Blue Jays did. They sort of needed the hockey thing where you, you win a series because the goalie stands on his head. They needed the starting pitchers yeah. to stand on their heads and they weren't able to. And they weren't, right? And they were, you know, Brandon Woodruff ended up out now obviously they had two very good starting pitchers in those two games so i don't think you could blame woodruff's injury but also they how far were they going to get without woodruff i think you can also fairly ask that question at the same time Um, i like the brewers going forward i like where they're positioned over the next three or four years because they have a very good group of position player prospects that have either just reached the majors or are about to do so. And I think that lineup is going to get quite a bit better. And the challenge for them is going to be to keep the pitching staff going. Um, keeping them healthy and keeping them around uh, is going to be difficult. And they don't have replacements that I can see coming up behind these guys. Um, they have gone pretty bat heavy in the draft and I think done extremely well with that. Um, they also went pretty heavy about four or five years ago in the international free agent market. And that added uh, Jackson Churio as well, who I think is going to be a superstar. There's there's quite a bit coming like that lineup is going to look pretty good by the middle of next year. And even if it's not, you know, a, a well above average offense, you're going to look up and down that lineup and say, he's going to be good. He's going to be good. He's already good. He's going to be good. Like they're, they're in a good spot. It's now going to turn back around the other direction towards the pitching staff. And, as much as I know Jacob Mizurowski's had a lot of hype, um, I think he's going to be a really good big league pitcher. pitcher. I have yeah. a really hard time seeing a guy with that kind of delivery staying in the rotation. I think he's he's your you know, right-handed Josh Hader just to pick a guy from the same franchise. He could be that kind of pitcher, which is super valuable. They need starters. And it's a little bit of that same 
thing that I feel like you and I have talked about it at some point, or maybe Derek and I have talked about it with the Orioles, where uh, the Orioles have a huge position player surplus, and they've converted a little bit of that into starting pitching. They're going to have to continue to do so. The Brewers might have to do that as well. Mm-hmm. And would be surprised to see Corbin Burns eventually flip for who they hope will, who they hope will be the next Corbin Burns. Um, Absolutely. Figure some of that out. The Marlins just got flat out beat. Um, mm-hmm. They were shorthanded coming into this one already, despite some additions to their lineup. They did get um, Luis Arise, uh, you know, mostly somewhat healthy, healthy enough to play, but they didn't have Yuri Perez, didn't have Sandy Alcantara, and Jesus Lazardo and Braxton Garrett were were okay. But you just get beat up by a Phillies team that can can outslug you. Is there anything too much to be drawn from from this Marlins team and and where you think they're headed uh, out of this series? I mean, I think it, you can say two things. Two things can be true at the same time. The Marlins were the worst team in the playoffs this year. I'm pretty sure they had the worst run differential for any team to make the playoffs in the history of the sport. And I mean, it's just a statement of fact. And you can also say, what a great season for them. Right? Yeah. It's great when that they won this many games, that their players got to be in a pennant race, got to play two playoff games. Yep, you lost. Lost to a much better team. There's not. There's certainly no shame. And there's no shame in losing a playoff series ever under any circumstances. So you can certainly see plenty of positives there. I don't really know where they're going to go from here because I think that this also exposed a little bit. Two games is not much of a sample to go on, but going even back into the regular season, like this lineup needs some adjustments it's been a team that has been built like they've been built around a lot of hard contact there's a lot of freer swingers there there's not a lot of on base skills i'm still not totally sure how many of these guys are really core players i've been a jazz chisholm fan forever this year was a real step back for him and boy did he not look good i don't think everyone's face Zach Wheeler again, or Aaron Nola again, as long as he lives. I could understand. I wouldn't want to face them either. But I think we just saw Chisholm's not where we want him to be. And I think it was my buddy Tim Kirkjian was like, he hasn't played a lot of baseball in his life. Yes, Chisholm grew up in the Bahamas. It's a little bit of a different environment. Chisholm's been in pro ball for a while now. That excuse starts to wear a little bit thin. And again, I say this is, I think Chisholm has the the athletic ability um, and, and I think the strength to be a top 15 player in the national league, but he ain't anywhere close to that right now. And so I see, a, I see a couple of, I see some questions here. I don't look at this Marlins team and say 85 wins this year. I think it was 85 to, you know, 88 to 90 next year to infinity and beyond. You hope they get a Yuri Perez back next year. You hope they get more of Sandy Alcantara back next year. Um, and the pitching staff, the run prevention could be very, very good next year. But I have a lot of questions about that lineup. And when I look at the, the hitters that they've acquired, the Kimming has acquired since she became the GM there, by and large, it's a type that I think they need to move away from. I think they need to diversify and look for some different types of, of hitters to fill out that lineup. Because again, it's a lot of those kind of harder contact, freer swingers, not a lot yep. of the on-base skills. And they just kind of mix it up a little bit more to have a lineup that's going to be productive going forward because um, they have some very interesting guys in the farm system. But it's, I think it's also fair to say that, that the answers to this whole lineup question, they're not all currently in the organization. Yeah, and they counted on Luis Arias alone to like paper over a lot of their on-base problems this year. <laughs> yeah, right. It's not fair to him. Yeah, and to all his credit, for as much as he does, he's actually not. He's a free swinger. It's just he 
he when he swings he hits so he's a he is a he's a unicorn right there's nobody like him great guy to have you love having him be nice to have some guys who you know ran deeper counts more consistently god what was it the the comment what did they say that evan carter's nickname was it was like mr full count or something it's not the most exciting nickname, but and then he immediately goes to a full count. Like, full there count is Carter. also full count Carter. Yeah, full count Carter. Okay, that's a little bit better, <laughs> right? It sounds like get Carter, right? Like that's sure. Like those guys have have some value, especially when you don't have a lot of those guys in the lineup. I mean, Evan Carter's a valuable prospect, period, right? Because of all the other things he does. But that ability to help run up pitch counts in an era where you're, you are either trying to run up the opposing pitch starter's pitch count or just get to the third time through the order because one of those things gets him out of the game, great. Marlins don't have that. They don't draft that way. They don't really develop that way. It's not necessarily criticism of of the drafting or developing approach in general. It's just saying that is a, a bit of a weakness that I think they'll want to address, um, they'll want to address going forward as they try to reload for next year because they should be thinking playoffs. You make playoffs one year, no matter how much I talk about run differential, they made the playoffs, and the goal next year should be to make the playoffs again. And if they get Perez and Alcantara back and healthy, even for just the majority of the season, they'll have the run prevention to do it again. From the swept to the sweepers, the first. Um... Division series series I want to get to is the Rangers Orioles Orioles of course uh, best record in the AL and uh, had the buy for the wild card and meanwhile the Rangers just put it all together against the Rays two teams that it felt like they very nearly could have grabbed one of those buys Evan Carter who we just mentioned full count Carter was fantastic <laughs> uh, two for four uh, two walks three sorry two doubles one homer three walks and a, a stolen base he did it all he had a great catch in left field he made one error out there. Uh, but he was pretty fantastic for a guy that a lot of people I think are just learning about after he came up mm-hmm. late in the season and had a really good run in September and making an impact immediately in the postseason. Yep. He's, uh, I mean, he is just, he has improved so much over the last 24 months, right? I, a derided second round pick in the 2020 draft was not that advanced a player in high school. Swung and missed quite a bit, according to area scouts I know who had that area at the time. Couldn't believe he was selected where he was. Plays one month in 2021. Looks very good doing it. Immediately gets hurt. I even caught him at the beginning of 2022 and thought, this guy's more passive than patient, right? He does take a lot of hittable pitches early in counts. And I think that's still true. And if there's an area for improvement remaining, and there may not be, that would be the thing I would want to see is a little more aggressiveness early in counts because pitchers will very quickly become aware. This guy's just taking early in counts. If I can get ahead 0102, why wouldn't I do so? So just keeping that in mind, but that he has a, he has improved his, as far as I know, his contact, as far as I can tell, his, his contact quality, his pitch selection, his pitch recognition was always good. I think that's only gotten better. He's a very good defensive player. He's actually put them in a pretty interesting situation also where he may uh, he may allow them to trade Leody Tavares because they're both true center fielders. I think Leody's a better defender, but Carter has yep. way more upside with the bat, not even close. And you could play both guys and have an incredible outfield defense. There is nothing wrong with that at all. However, if Bonnie you're the Rangers, Langford. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot all about him. Right. Wyatt He's like, already banging on the door. <laughs> Finished in AAA. Like midseason, we could see a Wyatt Langford, Evan Carter, Adolis Garcia outfield, I think. That'd be really good. Right. And where Leody Tavares ends up in the it's the Joey Ortiz problem, just to segue a little bit to Baltimore. Right. This is a guy who would play every day for half the teams in baseball. And there's no room for him. If you're the Rangers, if you're Chris Young, do you say, we love Leody Tavares, but he's young, he's valuable, and we don't actually have a spot for him. Can we trade him for a major league player who helps us more specifically? Probably pitching because I feel like it's always pitching. Yep. You know, and even as good as Nate Ivaldi was yesterday, I'm like watching him waiting for like something to tear, his arm to just fall off, right? It's, it's Ivaldi. As good as he is, I think they said he'd been on the injured list every year but 2021 in his major since he got to the major leagues. Like, you can't. I love Nate Ivaldi when he's healthy. You can't count on that guy. Their whole rotation is full of can't count on guys. So maybe that's what they do because they don't have a lot of holes on the offensive side. But I would say if you're if we were assembling a list of guys who could should be traded this offseason, Tavares is probably pretty high on there. And it's because Evan Carter has shown himself to be so good and I think to be ready. Speaking of the the rotation concerns, they had two fantastic outings. Jordan Montgomery, a seven shutout innings. Uh, Nathan Evaldi, six and two thirds, one earned run. Uh, but when Montgomery makes a diving catch on a bunt, I immediately, oh no, because if he gets hurt, they they don't have anyone. They need they need Evaldi to to survive this postseason. They need Max Scherzer to maybe come back. Uh, like sort of, I probably rank it as unlikely he is available, but he uh, at least through a competitive bullpen. Dane Dunning is kind of the next man up. Uh, it is not a good situation for them. So to get through that in two games, to be able to come back fully rested in a couple of days to take on um, a, a fantastic offense uh, in the Orioles, uh, who would themselves have rotation questions. However, the rotation, I need to say, has been great in the back half of the season. Kyle Bradish, Dean Kramer, uh, John Means has been really good. Grayson Rodriguez has taken huge step forward since uh, his first stint in the majors early in the season where he just didn't look prepared um, to face big, big league hitters. But this is a tough matchup for... For both sides, but I think for for the Orioles uh, staff because there's there is really no hole I think in that Texas lineup there is no break you get there and uh, they even have two catchers who can hit not just one catcher who can hit Mitch Garver right. Jonah Heim they can figure it out and if that rotation for the Orioles gets knocked around and, and things get um, a little sideways for them they have to go to the bullpen early with no Felix Bautista it's not nearly as worrisome a a feat I think a task for the Texas Rangers offense to beat up on some of these guys in the Orioles bullpen. I don't think anyone's, they've been good, but I don't think anyone's saying like, Oh no, that's CNL Perez's music, right? Like they're, right. you're not too <laughs> scared. One guy, of, right. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, and if you had Shintaro Fujinami coming in, okay, he can strike you out, but he could also like walk two guys, you know? Yep. Um, so anyway, when you look at the series, where, where do you see the sort of the separator of what's this going to tilt on? Yeah, I think I, I think you just kind of outlined it, right? It is what each side is getting out of their rotation. Both sides, both rotations, both pitching staffs are kind of dancing a little bit on a knife's edge, right? Neither has a lot of slack to give. And you're also looking at two really, really good, really difficult lineups, right? These are lineups that you know, we saw Texas do it to two very good starters and Rays. They chewed those guys up. And the Orioles, I think that's pretty clearly their strength also, that the lineup is really de- – they also really catch the ball. Um, but I think the Orioles lineup is also going to be a very difficult challenge for Texas's rotation. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if this really just came down to something as simple as which team gets more innings out of their starters. Yep. You know, I understand that that's 
generally true. Well, if your starters pitch better, but I mean, even just thinking whose starters are just capable enough of staying in the game longer. So you're not getting more innings out of your bullpen or more innings out of your mop-up guys, not using your game four starter just to try to see you through game two, something like that, because like I like both starting staffs, but I but both of them are going to make you feel a little wobbly. This isn't like, for example, Wheeler, Nola, and then you end up in this interesting situation in Philly where it's like, oh, who's the third starter? I like them all. Mm-hmm. Right? This is not neither one of these staffs is like that. I will be very curious to see what Grayson Rodriguez looks like facing a great lineup in a playoff game. Grayson Rodriguez has upside. He's got very good stuff. This is going to be one of the toughest challenges he's had all season, maybe the toughest he's had, um, given the lineup he's facing, the magnitude of the situation. And I will be very curious to see how he performs and what the pitch mix looks like, because I do think that was a little, even when he first came up and struggled a couple of those early starts, I thought some of the pitch selection was very questionable. And you never know where that's coming from. So like, if you want to just zero in on one guy, which I don't know what their rotation is, whichever game he starts, though, very curious to see how much we see him trying to rely on the fastball and how much we see some of the secondary stuff and what secondary stuff they try to rely on against a very good, deep and balanced Texas lineup. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know, there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick twice a week. I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, the old man and the three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Twins, Astros, and the other AL series. Uh, Twins get the proverbial monkey off their backs to win a, win a game, win a series. Astros, meanwhile, sort of snuck into this bye on the last game of the season. And mm-hmm. they are the only returning team from last year's ALDSs, uh, Mariners, Yanks, Guardians, all sitting at home. So oh, the, wow. the right. big matchup here where all, we just talked about rotation concerns and another one, this is – this is some good starting pitching matchups. Justin Verlander is going to be in game one for the Astros. I assume Joe Ryan's going in game one. That would line up Fran Valdez against Pablo Lopez. And then in game three, probably Christian Javier and Sonny Gray. These are some fantastic starting pitchers. And then both bullpens really strong behind. Um, so the Twins won really on the back of, of Royce Lewis. Two for six, two homers, two huge homers, two walks. Uh, one walk was the one that um, ended up chasing uh, Barrios early. This kid has 17 homers in 60 games this year. The key has just been staying healthy, and right now he's healthy and he is raking. Uh, tell us, tell us more about the the journey of Royce Lewis and, and how he's gotten to this moment. 
Yeah, and, and I mean, it's two ACL tears, right? Yeah. And then at some point in 2021, I don't know when exactly he did this, he <laughs> changed his whole swing for the much, much worse. Right? Suddenly there was this massive leg kick and he was swinging almost straight uphill for a guy who was as an amateur when he was the first overall pick in the draft senior hunter green was was picked second lewis was shortstop great athlete 80 runner very skilled base stealer too seen as a guy who would probably steal at very high percentages and who might get to some power in time never seen as somebody i don't think who was going to get to you know what he he was at like a 35 plus 40 homer pace this year i don't think he's really going to maintain that but still clearly hitting for more power than anyone anticipated it was almost like he was trying to force power rather than just be a really good hitter which i think is much more kind of naturally what he is and then as you get bigger and stronger let the power come and you know he missed so much time and had this crazy I mean, just swing disaster. I've seen guys change their swings for the worse. This is definitely one of the starker examples. How does a guy yeah. who was the team who was the number one pick in the draft do this? Like we turned around for five minutes, and you do this. Um, and I give the Twins people a lot of credit. They, I, I mean, it's like they just hit Control Z and they got him back to where he used to be. Um, where I still feel like it is very much. Uh, I'm going to hit first. If some of these balls leave the yard. That's just a function of being a really good hitter who's getting stronger and hitting the ball harder. And I also think getting him off shortstop probably helped for a guy who's he re always reminded me a bit of Aaron Hill in this way. I'm you know dating myself a little bit because we drafted Hill when I was with the Blue Jays, but Hill could really run. He was a smart, smart kid, smart person, smart baseball player, and worked really hard. Shortstop was just never happening. Moved him over to second base, took to it immediately. Just getting a guy off a position that's kind of never going to work for him frees him up to do other things. Free, maybe just frees him up. He's not spending time or mental energy trying to figure out something that's never really going to work and just say, we're going to have you go play an easier position. You'll play it better almost right away. And now you can focus more on hitting. I don't think it's a coincidence that Lewis had this real offensive breakout. Not only did the hitting mechanics get back to their what I would consider a pretty optimal position for him, but he was no longer being asked to play a position that at the very least was going to require a lot of work. And he was able to put himself in positions to get in counts where he knew it was coming. It was a three, two fastball. He got his hands around on for the first homer, a three run three, one situation where he was able to take an elevated fastball, send it out to right center. And then a couple of walks too. this. If you work counts, you can put yourself in some pretty favorable positions, even mm -hmm. against postseason pitching uh, two more to get to here. Diamondbacks Dodgers. The, the bracket is broken pretty well. I think for the Dodgers, because if they're a matchup against the Phillies, I'd, probably call them underdogs uh, given the state mm -hmm. of their rotation right now I Kershaw agree. against Kershaw Merrill Kelly in game one uh, D-backs will be rested again the situation getting through that in two games is pretty huge for them they could I think if the way this lines up in this five game series I think they could get Kelly and Gallon uh, in four of those potential five um, two so, one two four five yeah and so that yeah. would be huge so uh, this was this was a group effort to come back a couple of times in these games um uh, good, uh, decent starting pitching, and then and then good, uh, really good bullpen work. But from a hitting perspective, Corbin Carroll, it's like the highest compliment you can you can pay. It's like he's going to do something 
every single game to help you win that ball game. And he did a bunch of that. Four for seven, double homer, two walks. This guy was was on base more than half the time. Uh, but, but beyond him, Geraldo Perdomo was great. Uh, Christian Walker, Kettle Marte, Gabriel Moreno. Big question with him now. Um, uh, will he be available? If he has to go on the injured list, how much time is he going to miss? Uh, that's a big question. However, group effort there, what 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 odds, I guess, do you give, what chances do you give the D-backs of having enough offense here to be able to keep up with a Dodgers lineup that uh, that really doesn't quit? That's a good question. I think I feel like this series is going to be closer than it would in- immediately appear based on records, run differentials, any any analysis of what came out of the regular season, because in particular because of what you said that it could be Gallon and Kelly in four of the five starts. I don't mean to write off the Brandon Fott start, but maybe we write off the Brandon Fott Brandon Fott start. Like that's a bad yeah. matchup for the Diamondbacks against a really good lineup that, as you said, doesn't quit. Like, yes, that is, I agree. I also feel like the, like the Diamondbacks, this is unfair. I'm going to be hyperbolic. They might be toast if they get to the next round, no matter which team they're facing, because, <laughs> right, you can't do that, right? You got You basically have to have a fourth starter for the next series, and they don't really have a third starter. I still think Brandon Fott's going to have a decent big league career, but it's not gone well, certainly. Um, they're not in a great spot, but a five-game series where they can throw those two guys for 80% of the starts is pretty favorable for them. And I do think compresses the gap between the two clubs and the questions about the Dodgers rotation from health to availability are very real. Uh, and this is that the Diamondbacks can put some runs up. They, I think they've pretty much shown that. And they're, as far as I know, I don't, I should pull up their depth chart, but pretty healthy. Right? This is pretty close to the A lineup, yep. I think. So, yeah, I feel like that one's closer than it would in, at first appear of all of these series. Do I feel like I'm asking myself and asking you the question too? Is this the one with the best chance for an upset? I think it might be, although there's something about the Phillies that they have the the bats just open these all these possibilities, and and I don't mm-hmm. know exactly how they line up. Um, I'd imagine they can probably only get three from Nola and Wheeler, um, but they if you're if Max Fried isn't fully healthy, if you can get to Bryce Elder. There, there's enough weakness right now in that Atlanta rotation that let's say you let's say you jump them and and beat Spencer Strider to get ahead to the next series. I, I think the Phillies, um, they just have enough in their lineup to be able to to pull this. If you're getting grand slams from Bryson Stott, and we talked about him last week, uh, yeah. this guy who was a, a glove first and some speed guy last year is doing everything and love the detail in the story from um, Tim Britton today. Stott was a bottom 10 in the league in first pitch swings this year. Uh, a quote from Kevin Long was basically he's told the league, I don't swing uh, in a first pitch, 0-0. And then mm-hmm. he crushed the first pitch for, for a grand slam. So yeah, How about that? Um, so anyway, to, to spin back to the last series quickly, if we see a Lance <laughs> Lynn-Brandon Fott, matchup they were like smash the over as hard as you can if you're a if you're someone who's into that there's going to be like the the race to i'm gonna have to buy more beer <laughs> <laughs> oh it's like homer prone homer prone um anyway yes. to, to wrap things up phillies uh braves this is uh kind of like i just said that's my favorite series of this uh you, you got to catch each one each one of these games is a rematch oh, of yeah. last year's ds phillies ran away with, uh, ran away with that one three games to to one, but right now it's matching up Spencer Strider, Max Fried, Bryce Elder, t- kind of the top three. 
and uh, Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola, and then Suarez, Sanchez, Walker. I, I don't know. Lorenzen, I guess we've gotten that answered, but I don't know who the number three exactly is for the Phillies. They have. They yeah, have I think options, it's, it's Walker mentioned. or Sanchez. Yeah. I mean, there. this is the the thing that really boosts the Phillies for me in any series now is they have five guys who could really start a playoff game and they can play around a little bit because they could piggyback you know, I'm I'm assuming Sanchez starts no matter what if they need a fourth starter in any yeah. series. But could do you Walker Suarez and kind of piggyback where okay, the Barrios Kikuchi plan wasn't a great plan. However, are you doing something like that? A little bit of a left right thing. Um, they've got a lot of options. I mean, this is the you know Atlanta has a record setting offense. Phillies might have the best playoff pitching staff of any team, meaning, you know, yep. you're just right. We're just, we're skimming off the top here. It's a really, I mean, it's fun. I agree with you. Those games will be on in this house. Anyway, I've said it a million times. My wife's a big <laughs> Phillies fan. Um, and we watched every pitch the last two nights, whereas otherwise I was bouncing around between games because there's so much going on simultaneously, but yeah, it was pretty, this is, this is a really, really interesting matchup for a lot of reasons. Um, and I think I agree with your sentiment that you expressed a couple minutes ago, where if there's no elder and no freed, is this, is this matchup a lot closer than it would otherwise appear? I think that's yeah. fair. Yeah. And, and also highlighting the bullpens there, there, I, I think I talked last week or maybe it was on, um, on deck about just the, how veteran the Braves bullpen is. And you get to this point in the year and how important that is. The Phillies, same thing going on. Kimbrel, Alvarado, Soto, Dominguez. Uh, and then now they're dropping this kid, Orion Kirkering, who just got some filthy stuff, who hit every, every level of the minors this year. And and here he is in, in October, kind of the secret weapon they have here. So, um, man, it's going to be a fun one. And uh, and yeah, we're going to be locked into to each one of those. Um, Keith, we've run out of time here. we got to get going. So we'll, do, we'll save the managers for next time, uh, the four openings. And maybe by then we'll even have another one. Who knows? Um, so we're going to hit the exits. Thank you for listening. Thanks to Tim McMaster for producing today's show. I believe DVR is back in a week. You can find all of our work at theathletic.com. Subscribe to The Athletic for $2 per month for the first year at theathletic.com slash baseball show. The Athletic Baseball Show will be back on Monday. Have a great weekend.